What's up, everyone, and welcome to Roots of Humanity, a podcast that celebrates the beautiful people and culture of our world. My name is Drew Binsky. I'm a world traveler and content creator who has spent the past 12 years traveling to all 197 countries in the world. In episode 26 of Roots of Humanity, I talked to my production manager, AJ, about his Italian-American roots. Fresh out of college with several creative writing awards under his belt, AJ combines his love for storytelling and travel by helping me manage a team of 15 remote editors. AJ tells me what it's like to share the same last name as one of the biggest Italian mafia families, period. It's the greatest mystery of my ancestry and I just wanna solve it. I ask him how moving to New York City as an 18-year-old helped him feel connected to his ancestors and how he balances his two identities of being gay and Catholic. A discussion of the suburbs prompts AJ to share the story of his hometown, Newton, Connecticut, the site of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. How do activism and traveling intersect? Tune in to hear our thoughts on trekking the Trans-Siberian Railway before the war in Ukraine and how filming in the Hasidic Jewish part of Brooklyn opened our eyes to a world outside ourselves. Thanks for tuning in and let's get into it. Mr. AJ Vitiello, how are you doing, man? What's up, Drew? Thanks for having me on. Did I say it right? Vitiello. Yeah, you did. Some people will say uh, Vitello, but that's not correct. It's Viti. Vitiello. From Naples, Italy. And then my other Italian side is from Sicily. So a lot of Italian in this blood. Great. We're going to get deep into the Italian roots in this conversation, but I just want to give the viewers some background information. So I hired you five, six months ago. I needed a production manager, so you've been helping me a lot with finding new story ideas, um, overseeing all the videos, helping out with the editors, reviewing cuts, giving me ideas, and you've kind of been a jack of all trades. So it's been a really fun experience working with you, uh, and we just shot for two weeks pretty intensely in New York, so we have some epic stories coming. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I'm excited, man. I mean, you kicked my butt here in New York, but overall, it's been a pleasure to work for you. I mean, I, I've been following you for a while. Um, I'm a traveler myself, and I like working on the podcast, and I never thought you'd ask me to be a guest. Uh, so it's funny. <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of a two-part podcast. One is going to be talk about New York, because you're from there, you know, how you can relate to the city, what it means to you, and then we're going to get deep into these Italian roots. So why don't you start off by saying, where are you born? What was your childhood like? And are your parents, grandparents from New York? Give me a little background family history. First of all, I'll say that the Italian roots and the New York roots go hand in hand. The Italian mafia in New York, the wave of uh, Italian immigrants to New York, this is kind of my story, uh, maybe uh, three, four generations uh, prior to me. Um, But I was born um, in the suburbs of New York City. And on my father's side, uh, my great-grandfather was from Naples, Italy. He came through Ellis Island at 17 years old with about um, zero dollars, a couple cents (laughs) in his pocket. And he started a business on 51st Street and 8th Avenue on the west side of Manhattan, uh, fixing sewing machines. So that was his thing. And also, I think, beard trimming and, you know, a bunch of... uh, 
odd jobs. And um, there's a photo of him in Washington Square Park um, that's super old. And my grandparents keep everything. Um, they're not, they're in their 90s now. And when I first moved to New York, I uh, mimicked this photo of my great grandfather sitting under the arch in Washington Square. And we share the same name. So AJ stands for Albert John Vitiello. Um, and I'm the fourth. So <laughs> My father, his father, and his father, who's from Naples, uh, we all have the same exact name, but I don't think there's going to be a fifth, and uh, I think I'm going to stick as AJ rather than going to Al, which is uh, what my father did because he was AJ when he was a kid. Um, but AJ is definitely a very Italian name, I would say, uh, in these parts. <laughs> That's really fascinating, man. Um, the fact that you're fourth generation is... Usually, isn't it like junior or the third or the fourth? You don't have that? It gets confusing, especially uh, in terms of mail, like postage snail mail. Um, but like, I believe my grandfather is junior um, and it's actually Alberto, um, but not for me, it's Albert. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like when you get to the fourth, it's like, what do you do? Like, I, I mean, it's so I'm going to. And that, I think. <laughs> no disrespect. To, I, I, yeah. do, I do like my name. It's an uncommon name. It stops with me, but it's definitely an uncommon name, I would say. So tell me about your New York. I mean, New York is a crazy, big, vibrant, energetic, pulsing city. I just visited for the 12th or 13th time. What was your experience like growing up in, in New York? Well, as a kid in the suburbs of New York and then later on Connecticut, I didn't come to New York City very often. My earliest memories were coming down for like, you know, the circus. And I remember like looking up at the, as like a little kid, looking up at the Empire State Building in the car and be like, no way. Like I, it was kind of like this mythological fairy tale land uh, that I always wanted to go to. So as soon as I graduated high school, it wasn't even a question of where I was mm -hmm. gonna go. It was just New York City. So when I first moved to New York, um, I was intimidated because everybody's hustling, everybody's competing. I went to art school. I knew nothing about fashion. Um, <laughs> I was uh, newly out of the closet as a gay person. But at the same time, you know, all of a sudden I have all this freedom to just go anywhere, be anything. And I don't regret moving to New York for college um, at all. But at this point, after COVID, you know, with inflation and um, things like that, New York is not what it used to be, although everyone will say that, um, no matter how old you are, what year it is. But uh, yeah, I think I'm uh, ready to be in and out, but New York City will always be my home base, I would say. Great. New York City really is a place for everyone, every ethnicity, every gender, every background. That was kind of the main through line of all the videos we just shot inside of the ultra-religious uh, Hasidic Jewish communities of of Brooklyn, but also in Queens, which I really enjoyed, the, the most diverse district in the world where over 130 languages are spoken within like two square miles in Jackson Heights and Astoria. We had some amazing food out there. We met some really cool people and that's really unique. I mean, you could argue that London um, and Dubai they are can. also... <laughs> They can't. <laughs> well, people, Sorry. people, let me, let me change it. People from there would argue that London mm -hmm. or Dubai or Toronto even uh, are the most diverse cities. But someone who's been to these cities many times, it's no question that it's New York. And so mm -hmm. that was pretty special. I did enjoy Little Italy as a bridge. I actually walked, when we stopped shooting that one day in Chinatown, I walked back to my hotel in Union Square 
and it was a 25 minute walk through mm -hmm. Chinatown and then literally one block after the edge of Chinatown. It is extremely Italian. There's some strong Italian roots in New York. The, you know, all the tables on the streets and serving pizza, pasta, um, fettuccine, Alfredo, lasagna, popping bottles of wine. It's pretty cool. Like, that's really cool. So let's talk about well, Italy. Can I say something? Please, please. I, wanna, I wanted to say, um, you brought up the shooting we did in Hasidic Brooklyn uh, yeah. with the ultra religious uh, Orthodox community there. Um, and that was a really uh, profound experience for me as someone who grew up ultra Catholic, um, which directly relates to my Italian roots, but also my Irish and Polish roots. Um, I'm about as Catholic as you can get in that regard. Um, and walking around with Abby Stein, who was our guide, who is a transgender activist and rabbi and author who left the Hasidic community, that was really inspiring to me because although Catholicism um, is something that's very important to me um, and I write about it all the time and I think about it every day, um, you know, there there was kind of a breakaway when I moved to New York and um, had to uh, reconcile these two paradoxical identities that I have. So that is to say, I that was a mind-blowing experience in Brooklyn. Yeah, for me too, man. I mean, I've mm -hmm. traveled all over the world and I've met, met people in many communities, such as the Amish or, you know, Islamic communities, but the Hasidics were just so different and so unique and so traditional. The way that mm -hmm. they dress, the things that they eat, the language that they speak, the bookshops, it's like, li it's literally like a time machine. Um, I wanna take a moment to dive deeper into your connection to Italy. First off, mm -hmm. have you been to Italy? And if you have, what did you think about it? I've not been to Italy and I am saving it uh, for when I have more money and maybe more maturity and a serious partner. I don't know. I, it's, I want to hit the destinations that are more difficult in my 20s and then uh, relax in uh, Naples maybe uh, in a few years. But if I have the opportunity to go, um, of course I'll go. You are mature enough, so that's not an excuse. But yeah, if you want to save it for yeah. when you have more money or when you can spend longer time there, that's understandable. It is expensive in Italy, by the way. Mm -hmm. Have you heard stories about your great-grandfather, about his time in Italy, about his connection to Italy, your father's connection to Italy. Um, what do you know about, about that? I still have family in Naples. Um, I believe there, from what I've been told, there is a street in Naples that is my last name, Vitiello. It means veal, basically, or some connection to veal. Um, and they are still there in Naples. And when I was a kid, they came uh, to New York and it was so exciting because the Italian part of the family that nobody ever talks to or has any relationship is coming to visit us. Um, and we had a big American uh, welcome to them. Um, but that's that's my strongest connection um, to Italy. Um, honestly, it's nothing special to be an Italian American. If I my grandpa would kill me, um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know I'm 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 very interested in my Polish roots because um, that's kind of the least talked about at least. Whereas my Irish side, that probably has is the is the most kept track of. I think the Irish are good at that. Um, they you know my grand my grandmother has the whole family tree 
going back generations and generations. That's um, cool. And from County Cork. But you're now as American as I come, which I love. Yeah, I feel very American. I mean, I, I am Gen Z. Um, I <laughs> have not, I have not been, I've been to Poland. I've not been to Italy or Ireland. But um, yeah, I, I, there is a disconnect from those roots. But I, unlike some, do my absolute best to keep track of uh, my roots and family trees and heirlooms and things like that. It's so important. That's really important. And that's, you know, every, every person I've had on this podcast, we talk about cultural identity. And I think it's so important because in a thousand years from now, as there's way more, you know, people marrying from other cultures, other societies, new languages, we're going to forget. Everything's mm-hmm. going to become one. We're all going to be like, there's going to be no more homogeneity. Is that a word? Like homogenous homogeneity? Is that a word? It's a word, but I'm not sure. It's appropriate word. There's going to be very few cultures left that are so homogenous, like in rural parts of Africa, like in Korea. Those countries still have very homogenous roots. But in a thousand years, as way more Koreans are marrying Swedish people and Kenyan people, it's all going to be a mix. And it's going to be so much harder to say, oh, my great grandfather's from Italy. It's going to be like... Mm-hmm. 18 grandfathers that goes from Italy. I don't even know Italian. So I think it's so important to at least be aware of your roots and connect with it because it's, it's cool. That's sure. what makes the world, diversity is what makes the world go round. It's, it's cool. I agree with you. It's cool and it's super interesting and there is value to that history. But at the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing that we're all becoming closer to one and maybe one day we're not going to be able to separate, uh, who came from where. Um, so I see both sides. You know yeah, you could look at it either way, honestly. But in my, in my point of view, I think it's, it's fascinating to, mm-hmm. to connect with your identity and, and mm-hmm. I think it's important. So AJ, we previously chatted about uh, your, your great-grandfather and his connection to the Italian mafia in New York. Is that actually true? All right, here's the deal. All right, here, here, here I'll give it to you. What I know. My mother's last name, she's deceased, that side of the family, I'm not going to reveal that last name, but it's a notorious Italian Sicilian last name. And when you look at my great grandfather's first name on that side of the family, it matches up with uh, one of the leaders of first and last name with the leaders of the Italian mafia in New York, uh, kind of, we're talking godfather level. Um, and <laughs> although I don't know anything. Okay, and like I've, me and some of my younger cousins have like approached like the appropriate family members, the older, the the matriarchs of the family and been like, what's up? Like how how strong is our connection to the mafia? Because there was some stuff going on in Ohio on that side of the family, which complicates things. But at the end of the day, like there is something and the, the reluctance of certain family members uh, to get into that history. And those roots suggests that uh, the connection may be stronger than uh, one would believe, but I'm not sure if this is my great-grandfather on that side or for a second cousin or uh, clear, but clearly there is some type of connection. And I'm from, and we're from New York, um, so. <laughs> All I know about Italian mafia is what I've seen in the movies. So is that, is that true to your knowledge? What happens in those movies? 
it's certainly dramatized, but in terms of the way they talk and the traditions, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's pretty spot on. And I mean, like Martin Scorsese, he's Italian, right? I think he knows. But uh, yeah, I would say so. Big families, loud families, emotional families. Uh, but you can say that about any culture, I feel like. Family is very important, and that's something that may not be so true in America. But yeah, it's it's this, ma- it's the greatest mystery of my ancestry and I just, I, I want to mm-hmm. solve it. Um, but sh- at this point, should. I'm not, but how? Let's make a video on my YouTube channel and we'll do a deep dive into investigating your family mm, background. Okay. I guess I got to appear at like the courthouse or something and like, like literally start digging up some records. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's how it's done. When you watch The Godfather or The Sopranos, like in the back of your mind, do you feel like, you're like, wow, that's like, Two generations away from me. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I mean, I believe it. I, I just think it's funny that, like, they were doing that and they worked so hard to do their yeah. activities. And now, like, now, like, who's carrying that legacy is, like, me. <laughs> it's just, and it's, it, it's funny. I think it's hilarious, actually. Um, but, um, and I hope my family doesn't see this. Um, and cause no, well, you haven't yell at me and say names. it's not true. No, of course not. But um, maybe somebody will start talking. <laughs> after this <laughs> i want to talk for a moment about connecticut because why <laughs> why because i know that you kind of grew up there and because it's a world away from arizona it's literally when i look at the map the only farther state from arizona is new hampshire massachusetts and maine those are the only three farther away states. and rhode island and rhode island you love rhode island mm-hmm. in the same way that you might be fascinated with arizona is the same way that i'm fascinated with connecticut even though you probably think it's boring. I just drove through, I was in Montreal a week ago, and then I drove through Western Connecticut, which you may not even have been there. There's a town called Salisbury. I moved as at eight years old to Western Connecticut to a city called Danbury. Um, Dude, I went there. Is, yes, I went, there. I went to high school I, there. You went to Danbury. I didn't, tell you that, I didn't tell you that I went there. I drove through Danbury, and I remember because the street I live mm-hmm. on is Danbury, and I remember saying, oh, we're in Danbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got big malls in Danbury, um, lots of vineyard vines. That's about it. So people like to make fun of it uh, because it does fit the stereotype, uh, kind of rich, uh, kind of rich. um, (laughs) White. (laughs) White. Um, So for a long time, I was not proud to be from Connecticut. Um, but as I get older, I'm starting to appreciate it more because actually, if, if you if you spend time there and you deep dive into it, it is so much more than Greenwich. You know, it's Danbury itself is a very diverse place with a lot of Portuguese and Brazilian and Dominican and Latino uh, uh, populations there. And New Haven has the best pizza in the United States and the world. And Sally's uh, in New Haven. There's a, there's a really cool little Italy street in New Haven. Um, and we have Yale and UConn girls basketball. Uh, is apparently <laughs> very good. Um, and lobster and crab cakes. Yeah, and, and beautiful nature. So when you were driving back from Montreal, when you're talking about Salisbury, that's northwestern Connecticut. Um, it's, it's beautiful up, up there, like on the border with the Berkshires and a great place to retire and enjoy nature. And I think Meryl Streep lives up there. I mean, it, it which is how you know it's uh, desirable. Um, so don't sleep on Connecticut. It's, it's a fun place. And the people made me into who I am, I think. I... Um, I, I've spent more time in my adolescence in Connecticut than 
uh, New York, actually, uh, which is uh, crazy to say. Um, but uh, yeah, the Long Island Sound is great, and 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 Connecticut. I mean, it's it. There are a lot of Italians. There are a lot of Irish, and maybe not so much Polish. But um, but yeah, I I would say I would always prefer Rhode Island, though. I wish I was from Rhode Island instead of Connecticut. Um, but Rhode Island has everything Connecticut has, just better. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me more mm-hmm. about your childhood in Connecticut. I moved um, from New York State uh, around eight years old when I went into a step family after my mother passed, and that's when I entered Catholic school, which was hard for me. Uh, always be uh, coming into such a rich environment um, and going to school with kids that um, were not like me, and this whole Catholic school thing was very new, having to dress up in a uniform every day. Um, but I found my people and I started to realize I uh, might not be like the rest, that um, I might be gay. Um, and this was hard in Catholic school um, just because it was kind of, t- although I had uh, a great support system, both friends and uh, at the school, um, you know, it was a taboo subject and they had never really dealt with that as openly as with me before so i was i was the first person to bring a boy to prom at my school and that was kind oh, of a really? big deal yeah and i and, and that's something i'm proud of i it's kind of uh it, you know it was a uh, high school was hard but um one of the events that really shaped who i am today and forced me to grow up a little faster than I already was at the time was um, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting uh, in 2012. I grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, which made world headlines back in 2012 when I was in seventh grade at the Catholic school, which was right down the street um, from the elementary school that was victim to one man's uh, rage. And uh, it was very, very sad. And it kind of was the first event like that since Columbine, and it kind of opened up the floodgates for the anti-gun violence movement. And my my stepmother worked at a daycare center in town, and she lost a number of regular regulars uh, kids who she would watch during the day. But the way that the community came together um, was really profound to watch. There was a vigil that night, um, and everybody was just in shock. I mean, I had spent the day inside a closet for like eight plus hours. Um, Can you be more specific, and, if you don't mind me asking? Mm-hmm. You were sure. in the shooting, like it was in the building you were in no. next door. No, it was it was down the street, maybe a mile, half a mile down the street. My Catholic school was associated with the with the public elementary school but no i did not hear gunshots um i don't like to talk about the shooter himself um but he had connections to uh my school uh, and also the elementary school the public elementary school and also the high school so it was kind of like he could have uh chosen to go to any of those uh but instead he he went with Sandy Hook, um, but uh, at the end of my day, hiding and in lockdown, the SWAT team did come into the school as we were packing up at our lockers and like like scrambling to get on the bus. The SWAT team comes in with these massive guns, and we like I ran into the nearest classroom. I was with a bunch of 
third graders who are holding it together better than me. You're hearing the helicopters going on uh, above. And that was the really scary moment because we're like, oh God. So they were checking the lockers for bombs because they had reason to believe that our school uh, might be next. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, it's, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary this December. So, and you know, we're still, we're still uh, grieving and healing as a community, but I, I'm proud to be from Newtown. Um, and I think our town was a witness to the whole world. I mean, the, the day of, we, there were reporters at the Starbucks in town from all over the world, France, all over Europe, just, you know, asking us questions, interviewing. And, you know, this is a small town America, and all of a sudden, we're known around the world, and not for good reason. However, we've recently seen a lot of people moving to Newtown and Western Connecticut, Danbury area, because we have great schools, and we we do have a great community. But that event definitely shaped me and taught me that some people are bad, um, and we need to love each other more and be kind and uh, appreciate life at all stages and forever. Um, Yeah, man, it's a tough thing to get into. What a terrifying experience to live through at age 10. How old were you? I was around 10, 11, 12 years old. And when I travel, and and I've been to places like Russia and Vietnam and Thailand, they ask you, oh, is it true America? Like, they, they shoot in schools. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, I lived in a town where this happened. Um, and I knew people who have been affected. How many friends did you lose? In the shooting, 20 children much younger than me. Like, babies were killed and then a few teachers. So I was not friends with these uh three, four-year-olds, but I babysat one of them and uh, some of the teachers that were killed, uh, I, I knew personally. It was more my, my mother who, you know, was a community member um, and, you know, was really devastated. Um, but it's, it, it, it's a problem in America um, that has not been addressed. We've been pushing for it since I was 10 years old and there hasn't been much progress. Um, so I don't know what the answer is at this point because politics in this country is so messed up, but uh, I think we need to remember you know, that children in our schools have so much potential and it could be anybody. Um, and it's an embarrassment uh, that, it, I, on the, that, I, that when I go to Asia or Europe or elsewhere, it's like people look at us like, like we're crazy. We are crazy. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh... Thank you for sharing that. I know it's obviously really hard to talk about. I'm sure you think about it often and, you know, you hear about shootings almost daily now, so it's hard, probably hard for you not to, you know, think about what happened. And, it, and it's hard for me to talk about this. I used to be very involved in gun violence activism, especially after the Parkland shooting in Florida, which kind of yeah. re-energized the youth uh, who yeah. started to do activism after Sandy Hook. Um, so I was very involved in that. and. Partially, maybe it was a coping uh, mechanism, um, and I've since distanced myself from that kind of activism um, because the question I've always had to ask myself like, is, do I have the privilege to grieve, to suffer? Because I wasn't there. And like, it wasn't like I lost some, I didn't lose my best friend yeah. or a parent or a sibling, you know? But yet, at the same time, I lived in that town. I hid in a closet for many hours. I do. I did experience trauma from that event. So it's like, 
can I be a spokesperson for those victims for my town? It, it gets complicated, and that's why I, I choose not to talk about it um, very often. But it, if, if we're talking about me and my roots, um, Newtown, Connecticut, and the amazing community that raised me through good and bad uh, is very relevant to the conversation. Yeah. All right, cool. We'll end the, the shooting talk there. I mean, I was unexpected to really get deep into that, but that's, you know, that's one of the one of the benefits of having a podcast is having the ability to talk deeper and connect deeper. And I'm not able to do this in my YouTube video. So thank you for sharing all that. It really means a lot to a lot of people listening to this. AJ, I think it's appropriate to end this amazing chat on a positive note. Uh, so let's talk about travel. I know you have the travel bug. So why don't you share some of your, uh, some stories about how you got the travel bug and what are some of your favorite places? I do have the travel bug and that's why I'm very lucky to uh, be working with you to tell these amazing travel stories um, as a writer myself. My father, he lived in Papua New Guinea for two years before I was born, so I think I'm getting the travel bug from him. I've been to 10 countries now. Um, I'm 22. Um, my first country was Poland um, when I went to Krakow for World Youth Day, which was this massive celebration uh, with Pope Francis. And it was a great first time abroad. And that really kicked it off for me, being going to Eastern Europe and the pierogies and the 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 huge you were just there the the square in krakow and and filled with people celebrating with flags and from coming from countries all over the world that changed everything so poland did it for me and then shortly after um i went to ghana and i was there for a summer teaching english and that was another incredible experience i loved accra and the what is it the eastern region of ghana of ghana and next time you go to ghana you have to go to uh ho which is has one of the largest uh waterfalls the largest waterfall in west africa and when i was there um I actually got ended up getting a parasite in my foot, and uh, when I came when I came back to the states, I went to urgent care, and the doctor knew immediately what it what it was. He was like, "Have you been to Africa recently?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, yeah." That's brutal, man. Yeah, well, I I want to go back to Africa. I, I I'd like to go to Rwanda, Uganda, or Ethiopia, um, kind of East Africa maybe. And then you took me to Iceland this year, which was unbelievable. I'm recommending it to everybody. And I actually had a funny story about Iceland and my Italian roots. After you left Iceland and um, I stayed for a few days, I was staying in a hostel and there were people from all over the world staying at this hostel and enjoying Iceland. And there was this big Italian family in the common room and they're like cooking in, in the hostel and I'm sitting there doing whatever. And I approached them or they approached me and long story short, I told them that my last name is Vitiello. I didn't even tell them my mother's maiden name, which is the real mafia one. But this guy looked at me like, oh, my God. Like, I feel, <laughs> like he, he, he laughed, but he was like, he like backed away a little bit, like, <laughs> and it, which was really, really funny. That's hilarious, man. That's a great way to tie everything together that we've talked about is in Iceland. What are your top three bucket list countries right now? Iran. Venezuela, and I'd like to go to Georgia and Turkey 
next immediately because I feel like some of my bucket list destinations might not be uh, accessible to me at this time. But yeah, man. But I've I've got the right boss, so he you can hook me. <laughs> I always <laughs> encourage that. Um, those are all great countries. <clears throat> I mean, mm-hmm. Iran has major effed up political problems. I know. And currently, there's uh, massive protests in the street for women that um, are getting killed mm-hmm. because they're not covering their head. When in fact, the vast majority of Iranians, <clears throat> not not from my experience, from research and from people I've talked to, are not that religious, and they don't uh, keep uh, what's it called? Ramadan. I went to Iran during Ramadan. Most of the people I met weren't fasting. So it's, it's so painful to watch this beautiful culture be just shunned by, these, uh, by this regime. It's really, really sad. It's devastating. And we haven't even talked about Russia. And you and I didn't know each other, but we were in Russia at the same time yeah. about... Uh, right before the month. war. Yeah, right a few weeks before the war. And it, today, I guess Putin mobilized about 300K uh, civilians uh, with some connection to the military uh, to go in. So a, a development in the war in Ukraine today, as we have the turmoil tor- in Iran going on. But um, how does it feel? I have to ask. How do, how Because I have my own answer, but how does it feel to watch what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now having just been there about a few weeks before the war, I mean. Yeah, many people don't realize this until they travel, but because if you just consume the media, then you're pretty one-sided and brainwashed. But, you know, people are not the same as governments. Like the average person in Iran has nothing to do with the decisions that are being made by the ones in power. The same in the U.S. It's really like people are just people. And so when I say that I love Iran, I'm talking about the food, the history, the culture, the amazing markets. It gives me the goosebumps. I just got the goosebumps thinking about the remote places in Iran that I love. That's the Mm -hmm. purest culture. And then we have all this evil and greed that has come in the last 50 years Mm -hmm. of war and money and power. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have all these problems. So listen, like the US has major problems. China has major problems. Saudi Arabia has major problems. So it's not only Russia and Iran, this conversation. It's, it's a global thing. Like, I feel for the Russian people, dude. I, I love Russians. And I talk to my friends who I made on the Trans-Siberian yeah. train every day, and they, they, uh, they're devastated, yeah. as, as is the world. And, you know, people would said to me, before the war, what are you, crazy? Why do you want to go to Russia? You're gay. And then it was true. I went to St. Petersburg, and there's a gay community there. Of course. There, there, there are gay people. LGBT books in the bookstores there, and I felt completely safe. Yeah, I mean, there are gay people yeah. in Iran, too, so they're everywhere. Um, they're everywhere, yeah. But the point is that, like, I feel bad for Russian people who now yeah. are sanctioned from the world. Like, I'm a big, you know, sports fan, and, and the number one tennis player was Daniel Medvedev, uh, or he, he got, he's Russian, and he got bumped up to number one in the world right when the war broke out, and they revoked his status as number one. Like, what does that have to do with him being a professional tennis player? It just, it, it makes me upset that the people of Russia are associated with the government and Iran too. And I, I just feel bad. I, I just, it sucks. I don't know well, what else to say. There are, there are Russian small businesses in New York City that have been targeted and have been hit since the war broke yeah. out. And these are, these are New Yorkers. Yeah, they, exactly. They, 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 clearly they left Russia for a reason. And it, it, it doesn't make sense. I, I do believe in your motto, we are all the same. And 
I celebrate all of our differences and respect and want to learn from cultures everywhere. But at the end of the day, it's true. We are all the same. It's true. Absolutely. So, um, man, that, that was a really great, great conversation, AJ. Thank you so much um, for chatting with me. I look forward to right after this call discussing the next few videos that are coming out, uh, which is going to be Krakow, Poland, which you talked about, and then mm -hmm. a video about Ukraine because I was there interviewing some of the refugees and getting their stories. And then, uh, yeah, on to some New York content. So thank you, AJ. Uh, I'm sure you're going to like this one when it comes out. So uh, we'll talk soon, bro. Well, thanks for having me, Drew. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with somebody who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Every week, I'm going to be looking through them and highlighting my favorite one. And with that all being said, I will see you guys next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.